Network access is really where it starts in terms of sourcing for us. And I think for many venture firms and for many opportunities, my old cycling coach used to say, you should let your legs do the talking. And to me, what that means is if you put in the work and you start to post results, that builds on itself. You're playing the long game. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with Jamie Kramer, head of the Alternative Solutions Group for J.P. Morgan Asset Management, and Ali Rosenthal, managing partner of Leadout Capital. Jamie and Ali connected after Jamie's team invested in Ali's venture capital fund. They each have great stories to tell in their career journeys and how they're helping women and minorities invest in and grow companies. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Jamie and Allie, thank you so much for joining us on the Women on the Move podcast. It's great to have you on. Great to be here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I would love for our audience first to get to know both of you. We'll start with your careers and your backgrounds. Jamie, you've been with J.P. Morgan for 30 years. Unbelievable. And would love to hear about your career at the bank and how it really brought you to your current position. 30 years, it really flies by for everyone who is in the beginning of their career, I would say, enjoy every day. My career has spanned both asset and wealth management. I have also held roles across public and private investments. And I'll just highlight some of the themes. So I ran manager selection in the private bank. We oversaw all of the investments across all of our discretionary portfolios. So those are fixed income, equities, multi-asset portfolios, as well as other alternatives. I then created, had an idea that we could deliver investment solutions in a more innovative way for clients and created the thematic advisory program, where back in the day we put in mutual funds, we'd hold individual securities and ETFs when they were new. And we created portfolios that appeal to different objectives and characteristics. That program grew to over 10 billion in three years. I was then asked to take on head of strategic product management, where I was the bridge between our global distribution and all of our investment engines in the asset management business. I joined our asset management investment committee. In that role, I was looking out for trends and best practices that as asset management we should get into. One of those was understanding what it meant to be ESG integrated, where we understand non-financial risks associated with investments that become financially material. Five years ago, I was named head of alternative solutions. Today, I run a $30 billion discretionary business, hedge fund solutions, private credit solutions, and real asset solutions. And my career has come full circle. Three years ago, I met a woman who really launched the idea of Spark. She was trying to raise funds for her own venture fund. And I couldn't really understand why she wasn't as successful raising these assets. And so I approached our CEO and asked on behalf of asset management if we could give her some capital as an LP to Spark, that's where the name came from, and accelerate fundraising. And so what I learned from her and other entrepreneurs is I am really an intrapreneur. So I've created businesses like TAP and Spark at JP Morgan. And I'm really excited that the 33 managers that we've invested in And the $140 million has helped accelerate well over a billion in fundraising. And Allie is one of those managers. I love that and love hearing about your career and how varied it's been and how many things you've been able to do in one institution. 
And so you referenced Spark, Project Spark, which is something that we call the effort that you've led in terms of managing or investing in diverse run portfolios, meaning the fund managers are diverse, women and otherwise, and they also tend to manage diverse portfolios themselves and founders that they invest in. Just to give some context to Spark, that's what that is. And it's been a pleasure working on that with you and trying to help wherever we can. So Ali, would love to hear about your career as well. You were a finance person too in the beginning and still are, and how it really led you to create your own firm. Thank you for the question and thank you again for the opportunity. And while I have a moment, I wanted to thank Jamie and her team and Project Spark for backing Lead Out. Some of the numbers with respect to who gets access to financing, both in the entrepreneurial landscape and as well in the investor landscape, are really interesting. Perhaps we can get into them, but I so appreciate, as does my team and the broader GP community, frankly, organizations like Spark. And so thrilled to be here and part wouldn't be here if it weren't for Jamie and the JP Morgan team. So really grateful for the opportunity to work with them on a shared vision. Backing up my career is comprised of As you mentioned, finance, I started my career in investment banking. I was a professional athlete for a short period of time. I was a domestic professional cyclist on the women's tour. I've been an operator, so in operating roles at consumer technology businesses and an investor. I got my principal side investment training before going to business school at a large growth equity firm based in New York, and then have since worked at the earlier and earlier stages of principal side investing, both as an angel investor and an institutional investor. I got lead out going because I saw a gap in the market with respect to who got access to capital. I believe today the numbers are still that fewer than 3% of women-led companies are invested in by the venture capital community. And I thought that was a really compelling gap. So as to create alpha, you have to be non-consensus and right. And given my experience in operating roles and investing roles, this was just too good an opportunity not to pursue. In terms of operating roles, I was an early employee at Facebook, the company now known as Meta. I ran mobile business development and distribution there. So when I was raising lead out one, I talked about sort of knowing non-obvious when I saw it, because in my operating experience at Facebook in particular, it was a non-obvious insight and observation to notice the trend that was mobile and mobile platforms, sort of pre-smartphones, and we invested a lot of time, effort, product chops in making Facebook and Facebook products natively mobile. And that took us from almost no mobile users when I first started working on the product to over a half a billion when I left the company. I've been in other operating roles, most recently at a fintech firm called Wealthfront, and have been an angel investor in very, very early stage companies where it was a couple of people and an idea. Just in my experience as an angel investor and advising and mentoring early stage founders, especially founders who are non-obvious themselves, so women, underrepresented minorities, people who don't actually show up in the data as being typical to receive venture capital funding, had great ideas great momentum, but oftentimes were overlooked because they didn't fit pattern recognition. And so I wanted to use my platform, my network, my experience to back them and to connect them, be a bridge for them to other sources of capital, not only monetary capital, but network capital and social capital and people and experts who could really help them go from zero to one. So that's why I got Lead Out started. We're on our second fund. JP Morgan Spark is an LP. Again, very grateful. And today, over 60% of the portfolio has at least one female founder as a part of the team. Love living that out. So Jamie, I would love it to have you explain to our audience, what is it that you mean by alternative investments? 
part of the market is that. And then also, how do you advise clients on the benefits and risks of this area? So simply put, I would say that alternatives are everything outside of public equities and public fixed income, a variety of categories from real estate, infrastructure, private credit, hedge funds, and of course, private equity, which we're talking about today. And within private equity, there's a whole spectrum. And what my favorite part is venture because it's the innovation economy and it's the birth of companies, the beginning of their life cycle, high growth, pre-seed, seed, series A. Why alternatives in a portfolio? Alternatives can provide alpha, they can provide income, they can provide diversification, and they've been increasingly more important as the public markets have become much more volatile and as we enter a different regime of growth. Now, when you talk to clients, obviously each client conversation is different and it depends on their level of sophistication and their objectives. Communication is key and being really clear about what the role of the particular alternative is in a portfolio. We at JP Morgan try to use more science, less art. We're working right now on our long-term capital markets assumptions. And about five years ago, we started publishing them on all the major alternative categories. The venture long-term return over a 10-year horizon in is an 8.5% return. Now, this is an area of the market where there's tremendous alpha. So investing in top quartile managers, you can hopefully get much more, double that. To put it in numbers, if you add 10% to a core broad diversified alternative portfolio, you can increase your returns by half a percent and reduce your downside risk by over a percent. In terms of real portfolio construction and compounding your money, alternatives play a really critical part in portfolios. Knowing the risks, one that clearly exists is illiquidity and lack of transparency. So you really have to trust the partners that you invest with. Your mission at Lead Out, I wanted to read it because I really think this is terrific, is we believe in the value inherent in diversity, wide network persistence and accessibility, and expanding the size of the market of new ideas, products, and leaders. So I love, obviously, the diversity piece up front. Wide network persistence and accessibility is so interesting. You mentioned using a network and bringing that network to bear for your founders. Tell us more about that. What were you looking for? What do you hope to do when it comes to that network piece? Fewer than 3% of female founders receive venture capital money and roughly 1.9% of female founders in 2022 received venture capital money. And the numbers are even worse for persons who identify as Latinx, Black founders. Leadout's mission is to focus on that opportunity to listen differently, give the benefit of the doubt, not necessarily follow the pattern recognition that is evidenced in the data with respect to who receives early stage institutional venture capital. We really pursue what we call a founder market fit driven thesis. So we look for founders who themselves are customer segment experts, people who have lived a problem in a market that they know well either because they care enough about that market to embed with the customer, become a customer themselves, really understand the pain point that a customer is having and solve it with software. We invest in businesses that are generally software-driven product and business models. And so we're looking for these customer segment experts, and often they are not necessarily coming out of 
call it academic programs or big tech platforms that fit this, call it central casting for venture investment. They don't necessarily have all of the access to the contemporaneous networks for investment and how to get a funding round done, but they're extremely expert in, as I said, the customer pain point, the market, and have a real core edge insight with respect to how to serve that customer in a large and growing market. And so our goal, given my background, is to be that bridge between someone who's got a great idea, a great core insight, is an expert in a market and a customer need, and connect them to the sort of contemporaneous product, business development, engineering, expertise, and know-how that our networks and our experiences as operators and investors have afforded us. So we work to maintain and nurture a network of operators for the portfolio, people who are at the latest generative AI startup or large language model startup, payments businesses. And we have built and nurtured and maintained and grown networks of people who are operating in companies at scale who have product market fit and make sure that we can connect our founders who are earlier in their journey towards product market fit and scale to these operators for advice, for connections, for introductions. That is some value that we can add as founders of a fund that is focused on this kind of non-obvious founder to really be that bridge to the networks that can be so instrumental and non-linear in terms of the value they can add. And I would say that JP Morgan has a great platform and has started to open their platform of a similar extraordinarily invaluable network to helping founders and earlier stage companies get access to customer introductions of Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, which can really make or break a company that's raised a little money, that's a small team, and that's going like crazy to try to find that product market fit to helping them get their win. So let's stay on this topic of networks for a minute, as I love the points that are raised here. And it's critical funding is so important to founders, but I think that network is as important too to them, especially when founders are in their early stages. We've seen research that suggests two things. Number one, that women don't have the same span of networks, as large a network as men do. And two, that even when they have networks, they don't use them the same way that women are less likely to ask for things, to tap them, especially if they don't believe the relationships are deep or if they just don't feel close enough to someone. Whereas men, and this is not a dirty word, but men can be more transactional and ask people for things even if they don't feel like they have deep relationships. So we've seen research bear that out. I'm wondering, based on what the two of you have seen, how important is that network piece? When you bring something like that to a founder, a great connection, someone to help them, what does that do for them? Is there an example that you've seen where that network connection really made a difference? This is kind of one of the things that we do all the time for our founders. Once we've made a bet, once we've done our own independent work and built conviction such that we've written a check after the wire follow-up and how do we help and make more introductions for certainly for contemporaneous sort of advice, network access, expertise, and how to build hire, how to build culture, how to maintain a great team, motivate that team. How do you think about when you raise your next round? What will the metrics in your business need to look like in order to run a great round of financing? Because we're so early, we focus on pre-seed and seed stage companies. So these are companies raising rounds of maybe a million and a half 
dollars up to maybe $5 million. We're not talking hundreds of millions of dollars where it's clear that the business is working and there's a lot of historical data to kind of cull through and make more of a data-driven bet. A lot of it is on the founder's insight, their ability to kind of run through walls, so to speak, in order to exact their vision. It's very early on. So we make introductions to other investors, be they angel investors or peers of ours in the sort of pre-seed and seed series A stage. We also help connect our founders with, I mentioned earlier, operating executives. So we have a small group of operating advisors whose experience at senior levels of executive management, so call it anything from a CTO to a VP of business development. And these are people whose skill sets include business development, product marketing, back-end engineering, CTO roles. And so one of the things that we've done for a number of our companies is introduce them to senior executive hires that they have since converted on and hired those people. I think the follow-through is so important to the investment. LPs and investors should pay their managers to pick correctly, to do the diligence and to build conviction themselves. And then there is an aspect of kind of the follow-through and the help for these non-obvious founders, these people who aren't necessarily given the benefit of the doubt, who don't have on their speed dial the CTO of the most valuable gaming company in the world to talk to. And that's kind of how we have an edge. And that's kind of why entrepreneurs seek us out and work with us. You really have to think, can I help? Can I give this company lift? Is the kind of help I can bring going to move the needle here? And so that's a lot of what we think through when we are getting to know not only a market, but certainly a founder and a founding team. Jamie, tell me about your perception of the network effects at work. The network effects are huge. Just to bring it to life, I met Ali through a JP Morgan network. I had launched Spark. I work in asset management. The investment bank and asset management use their balance sheet to invest in these fund managers. And I got a call from a vice chair in the commercial bank who said, I hear what you're doing. Can you tell me about the program? You have to meet this amazing woman. And it turns out that this vice chair officiated Allie's wedding. And then I was speaking with Allie. And of course, we thought she was wonderful. And what she was doing fit the Spark mission perfectly. Then we reference checked Allie because the woman, it was my business associate at that time, she was living in California and her boyfriend had been a student of Allie's. And Allie, he said, you were one of the best ever. It's always these networks. And then it's introducing Allie to other GPs that she might want to share deals with. It's introducing Allie's founders to other businesses where we can test the software. Just last week, we were asked to look at another fund's financial software that helped GPs and LPs be more efficient. And so there's just so many touch points. And I agree with you, Sam, women do not leverage this network enough and they do not ask. When you help someone else, they don't forget. And the loyalty continues. We all pay it forward. So Ali, we know that women and minorities are underrepresented in the startup world and certainly in the venture capital funding. And I'm curious, what strategies do you use to really promote more diversity in your portfolio? Network access is really where it starts in terms of sourcing for us. And I think for many venture firms and for many opportunities, my old cycling coach used to say, you should let your legs do the talking. And to me, what that means is if you put in the work and you start to post results, that builds on itself. You're playing the long game. And I think in the investment landscape, especially in the early stage, spending time with people who are at the very beginning of the entrepreneurial journey, they have a big vision, they have an idea about how they're going to get there. It's very early. 
trying to build a relationship and an understanding of how you can help, what it is their vision is, with limited information for a very long period of time. Because we as early stage investors often take between two and a half to five years to deploy a small fund, even a large early stage fund. It takes a long time to build companies. It's hard. It's really hard. And you're living with a portfolio with founders, with partners. You're in partnership with people. The better part of a decade, if not more. In terms of how we source it's through our networks. It's through the executives at JP Morgan who decided that this was a really important initiative and awesome money-making economic upside opportunity for their investors as well. It's the early folks, the OG at Facebook where I worked, many of whom have started their own funds or started their own businesses who I know personally and who I've built trust with over the years of angel investing, shipping product, winding down product, hiring people, network at Stanford. For business school, where I am a proud alum, I was class of 2005. My old roommate and friend Pete Flint and Sami Inkinen founded Trulia, which J.P. Morgan took public. It's my students. I teach a class in entrepreneurship at the business school every year with a bunch of wonderful venture investors, angel investors, operators who care to spend the time with students not only at the business school and help teach design thinking and early stage company formation. It's of course through the portfolio itself. So as we've gotten it going, it's kind of how we reference check in the entrepreneurial community with founders we've bet on early. And when people say, hey, can we call and find out how does this investor add value? Have you liked working with them? That's our opportunity every time to sort of let our legs do the talking, so to speak, to go back to my cycling comparison. So it is very network-based. And we always track where we get references from. So is it from our operating community? Is it from our portfolio? Is it from other founders who we wanted to work with, but maybe their round size was too big, but we stayed in touch? It's such a relationship business to other venture firms who maybe are leading around and want to build a great syndicate of different experiences and backgrounds in an investment team that could really help a founding team early on. It might be an LP who sends us an opportunity. Amazing opportunities, cold inbound, where someone has said, I read your blog or I looked at your portfolio and I think you'll really find what I'm doing interesting. And so we try to take those calls and listen differently, listen with the benefit of the doubt, looking for those customer segment experts, which is of course our thesis. When we're evaluating or when we're looking for early stage emerging venture managers, you're really investing in the team, just like you're investing in the founder. And we really want to make sure that we invest with capable GPs that have an edge. So you described your edge that are extremely passionate, that are extremely clear about what lane they swim in. So you're swimming in software. Oftentimes, you're not going to find clear performance track records per se. You can piece them together. You can connect what edge they add. I always love to ask the question. I remember with you, Allie, I know you were a cyclist because I remember I always ask, where do you get your name of your fund? And I guess lead out has to do with when you're in a race or when you're leading the pack, you want to go far ahead, but not too far ahead. And I just remember being drawn to your passion for what you're doing with your experience from your previous roles in the industry. And so in terms of sourcing as well, once you have a reputation for really wanting to partner for the long run and really wanting to help out, fund managers find us. I'm sure the companies find you and there are good matches. So relevant. We'll love, Ellie, for you to tell us about, let's say, one of your portfolio companies that has a woman founder. What drew you to that particular business and how are you supporting them in their growth? 
One of the first investments we made out of Fund One is a company called Nearspace Labs. It was sourced through a network, I think my angel network. I had backed a guy who founded a 3PL shipping company with my own check, and he was writing angel checks himself, really liked some of the help we gave his founding team and him early on. And he reached out and said, you should take a look at this business. And I was just getting the fund off the ground. And so when I first talked to Rima Matavosian, who is Armenian, technical female founder, along with, she's got two co-founders who are based in Barcelona, Spain. She was looking actually for a small-ish angel check. And I I was just raising the fund, had LPs to whom I had a fiduciary responsibility to get them access to my network and get them access to this opportunity, which I thought was a great opportunity. We're mission-driven, but we absolutely want to drive top returns to our LPs. And that is the attitude that our founders have as well. None of our founders want to hand out because they are a member of a gender that by the data receives fewer venture dollars than another gender. They just want to kick ass and win. And I very much got the impression with Rima and her co-founders when they were raising their seed round that they clearly knew their market, geospatial imaging company. They had the experience academically and operationally that they were a great team that cared a ton about building a diverse organization and culture from early on. And so I convinced them to let me write a larger check on behalf of my LPs into this round that they were closing when I met them. And then we have since backed them in their seed and their Series A financings. And I'm a board observer for the company. So it's been great to see the growth. Reference was from my network, founder market fit, expert in her space, really cared about building and continuing to build a culture that values diversity. She's one of very few women in a very, very male-dominated area, which is geospatial, satellite, and sort of space imaging market, and has just done a fantastic job finding product market fit with the insurance tech industries. I love that longstanding relationship you've been able to build and how you came into it in the first place. So I'd love to go back to the career angle for a minute with both of you in your respective fields, asset management and venture capital. And here's the first question, Jamie, why is asset management a great business for women? Give me the best pitch you have for why women should join that sector. First of all, asset management, it's a huge opportunity because it's a huge part of the market. You can have varied careers. It's global. It's always changing. If you love to learn and you do really well financially so you can give back. Well, we all know the statistics. There aren't enough women in asset management, but they're really good at it, according to research. And something that Ali said, which is that Asset management is not transactional. It's extremely relationship-driven. No matter what aspect you're in it, you are managing money as a fiduciary on behalf of someone, helping corporations meet their goals. You're helping individuals retire. And it's very relationship-driven, problem-solving-oriented. And those are two skills that women tend to excel at. I also believe that the asset management industry is one where it combines your IQ and your EQ. It does allow you, unlike some other professions, to have a pretty good work-life balance. Yes, you're working maybe Asia hours, maybe you take a call early in the morning or late at night, but it's not like you're an ER doctor, you're not on call. It is largely predictable and you do have time to manage that work-life balance, which I think is really important for everyone. There's some data that I was looking at in preparation to have this conversation with you, Jamie, and you were talking earlier about how we're hunting in pools that are not as pursued and that there is opportunity there. 
And this stat was quoted in a Forbes article that over 98% of the 69 trillion U.S. asset management industry is managed by men. If that's not an opportunity for women, I don't know what is. It's a great place where you can be really bright, but you can also use your soft skills, which I think are really important, whether it's managing relationships or even spotting and identifying trends, your own network, solving your own problems, as you mentioned in venture. So I think asset management is a fantastic place for women to have careers. So Ali would love your thoughts on the venture capital space. Why do you think women should get into that more? And I'm thinking at this perspective from a more fund manager aspect of it. I was reading a stat that indicated that firms with partnerships that had at least one female GP were kind of a multiple more likely to invest in female founded and led company. And female founded and led companies statistically show that's a great investment. So there's really this amplification effect where you have the fund managers who are diverse looking for those portfolio companies who are diverse and both sides will have that return to show for it, which I think is super powerful. So you've each talked about why it's important for women to be in the space and what women should know going into those sectors. What should the sectors themselves do to be more accessible to women and to be more supportive? So what does the institutional side of this equation look like and what can companies actually do to make more of a difference there? So I think the first thing is to just start with knowledge, which is power. What are your stats? I think when you ask managers of all types, being a manager selection, how many women portfolio managers do you have? And they answer, and the answer is low, or how many women are in investment positions on your team, and you hold your managers accountable. So information is power. And I also believe that being intentional There are compelling managers across every demographic. You have to be looking for them. When you put your mind to finding the very best Latina investors that you can find, you will find them. You ask your networks. One thing leads to another. I think corporations are being more intentional. Data is a powerful tool. You can't manage what you can't measure. So you need to have tools to measure what you're going after. And I think that's really important from our perspective. And I'm proud to say that JP Morgan across the firm is very much doing that. So I do agree that the talent is there. We have to be looking for it very intentionally, deliberately, and all the time. And also encourage young women to really get into this space, because I think from both sides of it that you represent, it's very exciting and has a lot of power and influence. So let me just end by asking, what are the trends that each of you are looking at in your respective fields? And how do you stay current on those trends in general? Ali, I'd love to start with you. I would say industry trends, I would be kind of crazy for me to not talk about artificial intelligence and in particular generative AI. I think in a market that's been an interesting one over the past couple of years in particular, from a macro standpoint, global economies have been trying to get a hold of inflation and preventing recession, kind of dealing with the aftermath of the pandemic. There's been a come down in valuations and the momentum, I think, that our space certainly saw for quite some time. One trend I've really appreciated, especially with the founders that we work with and in the space we work with, is the resilience, the focus, the battening down of the businesses to really focus on that founder market and product market fit opportunity. We've picked founders who really know a space, who really know a pain point. Those pain points have not gone away because the economy or the market has changed trends and their ability to adapt, be flexible, and really focus is actually a trend and something we've really doubled down and focused on over the past year, year and a half 
off in looking for founders who have developed even more conviction and resilience about the opportunity they are pursuing. And it's an opportunity for us as fund managers, fiduciaries to our LPs to back companies that may have been overlooked because of the market gyrations and valuation trends. I think it's the same across the broad investment management industry. Trends always come from having innovation that is met with client demand or product market fit. So it's really similar to venture if you think about it. If you can find an edge in a portfolio where you're solving for income in a time when rates were zero, or today when there's so much volatility in traditional markets, if you're providing an alternative solution that lowers the overall volatility of the portfolio and still adds alpha, you are going to be ahead of the trend. And I think that there are different products and structures if they're always meeting. And I think it comes back to client needs, which Ali, you said one thing you look for when your founders are solving their own pain points, how large are those pain points and how can they solve them for others? And if you have that mentality, you'll always be able to spot trends. Well, I just love speaking with both of you. You've really made your sectors and experiences come to life. It's fascinating to hear your stories and very infectious, I think, to see what you're working on. And of course, I want to thank you both personally for doing the work you do and for really helping women, whether they're funders or founders, to achieve what they want. So thank you both, Allie and Jamie, for being with us and talking to us about your world and work. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Allie. And thank you, Sam, for leading our women at our organization. You do an awesome job. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Jamie and Allie. It was amazing to hear from both of them about the power of their networks and how they tap into those networks for the benefit of others. Providing broader networks and capital to women and minorities is key to addressing the significant imbalance in the venture capital space. I'm immensely grateful for how they're providing greater access and opportunity to these groups. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. To learn more about Women on the Move and listen to the full library of this podcast, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash W-O-T-M. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.